Well, good morning to everyone. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, where our lesson will be from this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverend, is your precious name. Father, we only dare come before you in the name, the person, the the righteousness, the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we come before you begging this morning for a spirit of worship, that you might enable us this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that you would cause the name of Christ our Savior to, to be exalted and to give us here a hearing ear, an understanding mind, and a believing heart that we might see something of the glory of Christ our Savior. And whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time that we might believe him, that we might find ourselves running to Christ our Savior. Father, what we pray for ourselves in this hour this morning, we pray for our children's classes. Father, you'd bless in a special way. How we thank you for all these little ones that you've given to us, these young people. Father, I pray that you take this time that they have in their classes to teach them the scriptures and that you might use that time to plant the seeds of faith in their heart, that you might be pleased to reveal yourself to them in your time. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for the sick and afflicted of our number and your people in other places. There are so many right now. And Father, we pray that you'd comfort the hearts of your people, that you'd heal, that you'd that you deliver as soon as it could be thy will. And Father, all these things we ask, and that name which is above every name, is for the glory and sake of, the, of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, I've titled our lesson this morning, One More Time, Saved by Grace. This morning we're going to look at one of our very favorite subjects, God's grace. I'm going to try to tell you one more time what I try to preach every time the Lord gives me an opportunity. The sinners like you and me were saved by God's grace without any of our works at any time. Sinners are saved by Christ alone, through God's grace alone, by faith in Christ alone. That's what our text says beginning in Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now one more time, you've heard this before, but let me tell you one more time. Sinners are saved by grace. That's what God's word says, isn't it? We're saved by grace. Now unfortunately, we need to define this word grace because men have perverted what this what the, the word grace means. They perverted its definition. Grace is not God doing his part. And then you doing your part. That's not grace. That's works. Grace is not man doing his best. Doing as much as he can do. And then God picking up the slack and doing the rest. That's not grace. That's works. Grace means this. That God did all of the saving. 100% of it. And the sinner didn't deserve it. At any point. The sinner never deserved any of these gifts that God has, has given. 
that God, all the work that God has done involved in the salvation of a soul, God did it all, and the sinner doesn't deserve any of it. God gives it to him freely. That's what grace is. God's grace is free. It's unmerited, undeserved, and it's unsought for favor from God to guilty sinners. God saves a sinner even though they don't deserve it. They're not really looking for it. They don't, we don't seek after it. Well, we seek after after God first seeks us, but God had to start the whole process, didn't he? That's what grace means. When Paul says we're saved by grace, he means all by grace. 100% by God's grace. He told us in the, in the book of Romans that salvation is one of two things. It's either all of works or all of grace. Can't mix the two. What he's telling us here is salvation is all of grace. From beginning to ending. God conceived the work. God began the work. God accomplished the work. And in God's grace, he'll finish the work. From Alpha to Omega, A to Z, from beginning to ending, salvation is by grace and grace alone. Now I want to show you that from Scripture. Look first at Genesis chapter 6. Here's where the whole thing of the salvation of a sinner was conceived. Salvation began, number one, in God's electing love. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. I'm going to destroy them all. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah was as totally depraved as every other son of Adam. God didn't, didn't single out Noah here because Noah was any better than anybody else. He wasn't. When the scripture says that the Lord saw the, wicked, the wickedness of man was great on the earth, it, he means mankind. Every son of Adam, including Noah. Noah is no better by nature than anybody else. That's why Noah needed to find grace. He didn't earn grace, did he? found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found something that he needed and didn't have. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. He didn't earn it by his works. He found it. And you know when he found it? When God gave it to him as a free gift. That's when he found it. And the same thing's true of you and me. We are completely sinful. I mean, here we sit, right, in our Sunday best. We've We've got up on a Sunday morning instead of sleeping in. We've come to the worship service and, you know, think all these people laying out, just, you know, they don't care about God. They're not seeking God. They don't want any religion of any kind whatsoever. And look at us. We're just as depraved. Don't you ever think otherwise. We're just as depraved. We are completely sinful as much as anybody else. And what we need is to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I'll tell you when we'll find it, when God's pleased to give it. That's when we'll find grace. And God's grace is electing grace. Of all the people on earth, I don't know how many people were alive at that time, but of all the people on earth at that time, God destroyed everybody, everybody, except eight souls. 
eight people. God chose Noah and his family, those eight souls, put them in the ark, and destroyed everybody else. Now that's electing grace. God chose those eight people to save from the destruction that was coming. That's God's electing grace. Electing grace is the only way a dead sinner could be saved. It's the only way. Because if we're left our dead nature, we'll never choose God, will we? We'll never choose God's way of salvation in Christ. We'll never seek God's grace. We'll never even know we need grace because we're dead. The only way a dead sinner can be saved is if God chooses us first. That's electing grace. And when God chooses a dead sinner, I mean a dead, stinking, decayed, depraved sinner, there's nothing in that sinner to move God to choose him, is it? That's electing grace. We didn't deserve it, but God chose a people to save. All right, now look at Exodus chapter 34. Here's the second thing. Now we're guilty. God chose a people to save. Here's the second thing about God's grace. God's grace is pardoning grace. Exodus 34, verse 9. And he said, this is Moses now speaking to the Lord. He said, if now I found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it's a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Moses here asked the Lord for what we all need, what we all need the most. We need God to pardon our sin because we're stiff-necked people. I mean, you think Israel was a stiff-necked people? They got nothing on us. We're a stiff-necked people. And Moses said, Lord, would you go among us and pardon our iniquity? And that word pardon means to forgive. Now, Moses asked God, would you forgive the sin of this sinful people? Would you forgive our sin? Well, will he? I mean, will God forgive sin in his holy nature? Will God forgive sin that's against him? Is there a way that the holy God can remain God and still forgive the sin of his people? We'll look up at verse 6. This is when the Lord is going to pass by and proclaim his name to Moses. In verse 6 he says, The Lord passed by before him, and he proclaimed. Now the name of the Lord is his character. The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness. Abundant in goodness. Now the Lord says he's merciful. The Lord says he's gracious. He's long-suffering. He says he's abundant in these things. He's abundant in his goodness. He's, he's abundance in his grace to his people. He's abundant in his long-suffering to his people. Sounds like there's hope for a sinner here, doesn't it? Sounds like there's hope. The Lord's gracious. Sounds like he's gracious enough to forgive the sin of a sinner like me. But now read on. Wait a minute. The Lord's not done finished describing his character. He's abundant in goodness and truth. And truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now the Lord's abundant in mercy. He's abundant in his long suffering. He's abundant in goodness to his people. But don't forget this. God's abundant in truth too. Everything God does must be true. 
It must be right. It must be just. Everything God does is abundantly right. Now, can you reconcile those two things? How can the Lord keep mercy for thousands? How can he forgive iniquity and forgive transgression and at the same time, by no means clear the guilty? Now, how's that possible? How can God forgive sin and never clear the guilty? Those who are guilty of sin, how can he forgive their sin but never clear the guilty? How's that possible? How can God pardon sin, yet remain true to his character and punish all sin? How's that possible? Now, if God will show you the answer to that question, you'll understand the whole gospel. You'll understand how it is that God saves sinners. The word he uses here in verse 7, forgiving, forgiving iniquity, that word means to lift off and carry away. When God forgives, when he pardons sin, he doesn't just ignore sin. I mean, that's what we do. Somebody wrongs us and we'll say, well, I forgive you. And, you know, basically that means we try to forget it, but we really don't. But we just don't bring it up anymore. You know, we just choose, okay, we're going we're gonna to ignore this. It, it's still there, but we're going to ignore it. That's not how God pardons sin. When God pardons sin, he carries it away. See, in order for the Father to forgive the iniquity of his people, he had to do something with their sin. So he took their sin and he put it on his son. He made his son sin for his people. And when the Father made the son sin for his people, he made him guilty. He made him guilty of all of the sin of all of his people. Now Calvary is a clear display of God's truth. God is true. Calvary is a display of God's justice. Even when his only begotten son appeared before him in sin, the father did not clear the guilty. If that was one of my children, I'd tend to ignore it, wouldn't you? I'd tend to, to, to clear the guilty, not the father. Even his only begotten son, God remained true to his character and he slaughtered his son. The father's the one that put him to death. The father's the one that thrust the sword of justice into the heart of his son. So that by the time Christ cried, it is finished and gave up the ghost, sin had been fully punished. The price for all of that sin had been fully paid by the blood, by the death of God's own son. Now because of the sacrifice of Christ, because Christ lifted the sin of his people off of them and carried it away forever, because the sacrifice of Christ put away the sin of God's people. When God shows mercy and, and grace to his people, when God pardons, when he forgives the sin of his people, he does it in justice. This is something that only God could do. This, the gospel of God's grace that we preach is the only message man has ever heard that satisfies both of these things at the same time. How God could be gracious. How God, can be, how, how God can forgive sin and how God can always punish sin. How God can always be just and right. How can God be God, not violate his character, and forgive the sin of a sinner? It's because he punished it in Christ our substitute. He took the sin of his people off of, of them and put it on Christ and Christ carried it away. He washed it away with his precious blood so that it doesn't exist anymore. Now, if sin's gone, 
God's right to forgive. Isn't he? <laughs> if sin's gone, God's right to accept that sinner into his presence. Now, that kind of pardoning grace, where sin is lifted off of us and carried away, pardoning grace, that's the only kind of grace that will save a guilty sinner. All right, now look at Romans chapter 3. Here's the third thing. Saving grace, God's grace, is justifying grace. Romans 3, verse 23. For all, now that's you and me, all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now God's grace, Paul says here, justifies His people. We're justified freely by God's grace. Now that word justified, it doesn't mean just as if. I'd never sinned. It just doesn't mean whether it's sin there and God's just pretending like it's not. It's as if I'd never sinned. Justified means this. To be made without sin. To have no sin. Now that's a miracle, isn't it? We've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. How can a sinner have no sin? <laughs> well, the only way a sinner like you and me can be justified, the only way a sinner could have no sin is by God's grace. God's got to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves and we don't deserve. He's got to lift our sin off of us and carry it away. He's got to make us without sin. Now that work must be done. And you and I can't do it, can we? Every work we do just produces more sin. doesn't take sin away. So God sent His Son in the flesh to come as the representative of His people. He is born of a virgin. He was a real man, made under the law. But since he was born of a virgin, he did not have Adam's sin nature. And he obeyed God's law perfectly. Always. Not just outwardly, but even in thought, even in desire. He obeyed God's law perfectly. And his obedience, as the representative of his people, his obedience is the obedience of his people. By the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, he made all of his people righteous. Made them so that when God sees them, this is what he sees. They've obeyed me perfectly. They've obeyed my law perfectly. They've done everything it takes to please me. We're righteous because of the obedience of Christ, our representative. Now, there, I mean, I've thought and thought and thought about this. There's only one explanation that the Son of God would do something so wonderful for the likes of you and me. It's God's grace. That's the only explanation. And that righteousness that God loves, it's not earned by our works. You always have to go back and say it's by grace, not by works. Not by works. We didn't earn it, and we don't keep it. It's all in Christ and given to us freely. And we receive that by faith. By faith. You don't receive it by works. You receive it by faith. 
And you and I can't even produce the faith it takes to receive it. God has to give it to us. See, it's all of God's grace, isn't it? If you ever find a genuine sinner, I'll tell you, they're going to love hearing this message, salvation by grace. Genuine sinners, they love it. Because a genuine sinner knows this, I'm helpless. I'm helpless to do anything that God requires of me. I'm helpless. So genuine sinners love to hear salvation by God's free grace. He justifies his people by the sacrifice of Christ. All right, now look over 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's the fourth thing. Saving grace is God's calling grace. Calling grace. Being called to Christ. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works. See how Paul often says this. Now grace means not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now before time was. When only God existed. The father chose a people unto salvation. That's his electing, electing grace. And the son came. He suffered and he died for those people. To put their sin away by his sacrifice. By his precious blood. He died as a substitute for God's elect. He lifted their sin off of them and carried it away. That's pardoning, justifying grace. Now Christ has died. He's risen again on the third day. He's ascended back to the Father. The great transaction is done. When our Lord cried, it is finished. That's exactly what he meant. The work's finished. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed and it never has to be shed again. Oh, what a work of salvation that God has accomplished. Now, God's got elect people. But when they're born in this world, they don't know anything about all that. All that happened before they ever got here. They don't know anything about it. All they know is their own sin and their own rebellion. All they know is their own Rebellion against God, their own self-righteousness, their own way, trying to earn their way to God. They don't know anything about God's grace. They don't know anything about the preciousness of Christ's blood. They don't know anything about God's amazing love that He could love a sinner and and choose to save them. They they have no idea about that. They think God cleaned themselves up and make themselves lovable before God will love them. They don't know anything about what God's done. They don't know anything about how God saves sinners. So in His time, God lets them in on what he's done for them. He makes them to know it. And here's how God reveals himself. Here's how God reveals how he saves sinners to his people. It's through the preaching of the gospel. By what we're doing right now, God sends somebody a preacher that preaches this gospel of grace to them. And that's how God calls sinners to himself. How is it the sinners are ever going to come to Christ? Somebody's got to tell them who he is. Somebody's got to show them how wonderful, how glorious he is. Somebody's got to tell them about Christ before they go to him. Somebody's got to know how righteousness is established. How can God be just and still justify a sinner like me? Left our own devices, we'd never come up with a sacrifice of a substitute, would we? Never would we. Somebody's got to tell us. And that happens to the preaching of the gospel. That's what Paul says in verse 10. Now all this happened before the world began. But is now made manifest 
by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. God's got to send us a preacher to preach the gospel, to tell us about Christ. You know, we're so dead in sin, there can never be any salvation without the preaching of the gospel. Can't be. Could God reveal himself to somebody? You know, I reckon he could, but he's not going to. He's not going to, because this is what he says in his word. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's going to be done by preaching. Now you think how gracious God is that he has sent his gospel to a bunch of stiff-necked rebels. He, he, he'd take a, a man, teach him the gospel, and make him a preacher, just like he did Paul. Now he'd take that man that he's taught and send him to the stiff-necked rebellious people to preach Christ to them, to preach Christ to them. They might think it's foolishness at first. They might think, I hate that. That's, I'm not going to accept that. But eventually, if they're gods, they do. Because through that preaching, God gives them the gift of faith in His Son. And they believe. The pattern, you see it? It's, it's so clear, isn't it? I don't know if you say every step, every aspect of salvation. It's all a step of grace. It? God elected a people. He forgave a people. He redeemed a people. He justified a people. And he called a people. It's all by his grace. All by grace. Now if you're still there in 2 Timothy, look at verse 9 again. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the world began. Here's the fifth thing about God's saving grace. It's eternal grace. Eternal. Now God purposed grace for his people before time began. Before creation, when only God existed, God purposed grace for his people. He purposed. He would save a people by his grace. Now since God's God, I mean, we, this, this fact has got to be established. God is God. He does as he pleases. Since God is God, God's purpose is just as sure as a past act, something he's already done, something he's already accomplished. The purpose of God is just as sure as history because God always does his will. Now this is why salvation in, the, in God's purpose of grace makes salvation sure to God's people. God's grace cannot fail. It cannot fail to save God's elect because God can't fail. God cannot fail to do anything he purposed. If God purposed grace for you, my friend, you'll have it. You'll be saved. The grace of God is eternal. It began before human time and it's going to continue long after human time is finished. Now, i tell you what that means to the believer. You don't have to worry about God running out of grace for you. You don't have to worry, oh, I'm finally going to out God's grace. I'm finally going to commit a sin that is going to make God turn his back on me and make him, God change his mind. 
He's not going to give me grace anymore. I, I, this is so bad. God's changed His mind. No, sir. God's grace is eternal. It cannot change. And I know we hate our sin. And we ought to. I mean, we, 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 I'm sure we don't hate our sin as much as, as we should, but we hate our sin. But listen, God knew the sin we commit before we, before we committed it. He's not going to change now. His grace is eternal. Where sin has abounded, grace has more abounded, did much more abound, and it always will. It always will. Because God cannot change His purpose of grace because God can't change. God can't change. In order for God to take away grace from His people, you know what God would have to do? He'd have to change. God's character would have to change. And why is it God said, you sons of Jacob, you stiff-necked, rebellious, sinful, cheating people, why is it that you won't be, that God won't change his mind and, and you won't be damned? God said, because I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, eternal grace, where God cannot change his mind on account of my sin, that is the only kind of grace that will save sin. All right, here's the last thing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians 12. God's grace is sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me. Now God told Paul, My grace is sufficient. And the first definition of that word sufficient is enough. God's grace is enough. It's all it takes to save you and to keep you saved. Without your works in any fashion at any time. God's grace is enough. And you know why I know for sure God's grace is enough? That it's all it takes? Well, it's because another meaning of this word sufficient. It means this. Possessing unfailing strength. God's grace will never run out of power. To save his people. Now we can rest our souls. In God's sufficient. All powerful grace. We can rest in that. God's grace is sufficient. It's of unfailing strength. To lead us through this world. Now this world. It's a tough place to live. It is. It's a tough place to live. Because we're living in this sinful world. In a body of sin. It's a tough place to live. And God's pilgrims. Going through this world, going home. It's going to be a tough trip. It's just going to be a tough trip. Has God been gracious to you so far? Huh? Has He? His grace will be enough to lead you home. It will be. It will be. See, the Lord promised in this world we shall have tribulation. We shall have troubles and trials and difficulties and afflictions, so don't be surprised. The Lord promised us we'd have them. 
But he's also promised us grace that's sufficient for every one of those trials, didn't he? So that, so that you won't quit. When God sends you a trial and it draws you closer to Christ instead of making you run away from him, why is that? God's grace is sufficient to draw you to Christ instead of and drive you away from Christ. God's grace is sufficient to see you through whatever it is God's called you to here below till you arrive in glory in the presence of Christ in his likeness. Now that's the message of salvation by grace. That's the only message that gives hope and assurance of salvation. I mean assurance, confidence of salvation to lost, dead, guilty sinners. It's grace is the only message that give you any confidence. If it's by your works, you always have to ask. Always. Did I do enough? And in your heart, you know you didn't. You always have to ask, was that good enough? Was it pure enough? Was my motive good enough? And you have to admit it wasn't. Don't you? Have to admit it wasn't. So there's no confidence in your works. But all of salvation is by grace. That gives hope and confidence and peace of heart to a guilty sinner. Thank God he's given us this message of grace to preach and believe. All right, Lord bless you.